Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Uh, today, we're going to talk about interviewing, and in particular, interviewing for product management roles. And lucky because we have Kenton Kavetsu, who with me, who is the CEO of Rocketbox. Kenton's a UVA undergrad alum and then a Tuck MBA alum as well. So he knows a thing or two about business school, but he knows a heck of a lot about interviewing. And that's why I brought him on here today. What I'm going to do is talk to Kenton a little bit about himself and how he came to found Rocketbox. I'm going to talk to him a little bit more in depth about product management and interviews. He's going to tell you a little bit more about Rocketbox himself, but it, as a result of founding Rocketbox, he's learned a thing or two about these interviews over the years and has some really great insights into some of the nuances to that. He's going to share them because we know that's top of mind for all of you. So Kenton, first off, thanks for, for joining me today. Thanks for being here. Would love for you to maybe just tell me a little bit about yourself. What were you doing before business school and why did you choose to even go in the first place? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And to answer your first question, why did I end up at business school? I was, before I went to business school, I was working at Google in product. I worked specifically on ads products, so Google's AdWords product. And I really liked it. I had a great time at Google, uh, great experience, learned a ton about how to build a product, a little bit about how to market a product, a lot about how to think about what are user needs, how do you meet those user needs. I felt like I got a really good experience to that. But when I was thinking about where I wanted to go in my career, one of the things that I'd always been interested in was running my own business. And I felt at the time I was like, hey, when am I going to be able to get the experience of running a whole unit and like a P&L at Google? And as someone that was there right out of college, like looking up sort of the, the stack of leaders and thinking like, how long is it going to take me to the point where I'm like a director and maybe you wouldn't have a chance to do that? It felt like it was like 15 or 16 years. And because of that, I was like, maybe a good way to get some of this experience and understand like how a P&L fits together and all this type of thing is to go to business school now and, and try and accelerate some of that. So that was really the key reason I decided to go to business school and to leave Google. And I went after spending three years at Google and I went to Dartmouth, as you mentioned. That's great. With this notion of entrepreneurship, I think there's a lot of folks who or not a lot, there's folks who have that aspiration in to go to business school to do that. And what were some of the ways when you were at Tuck that you were able to really explore that desire further? What did you do or whether they were formal things or just skunk works projects that you started on your own or, or how did you make that kind of aspiration for entrepreneurship come to life for you? I don't know that my process was perfect by any means. And I think if you think about all the different business schools, especially like in the US and which ones are more entrepreneurial leaning or not, I think there are probably better ones I could have chosen, but I really ended up choosing Tuck because uh, of the quality of the people there. And I thought it was a really good mix of people that were really bright, but also really humble. And my manager at the time at Google was a Tuck grad and he was really, he really was the one that was selling me on it. But in terms of what I did at Tuck that was entrepreneurial, I did take the entrepreneurial focus classes they had. There were opportunity to do projects where you could basically do like a consulting project for a big company, go do some consulting for a Coca-Cola or something like that. 
or you could take that same project time and dedicate it towards trying to build a, a little business idea. And so I took all those opportunities like that to do entrepreneurial stuff. But I would say the key thing that business school afforded me is my second year, you know, you do have a decent amount of free time in business school. And my second year, I started building the business that I now run, uh, Rocketblocks. And so I had the time to start building that business uh, and invested a lot in that. And I had friends around me at the time that were supporting me and doing that. And so it, it was a very good environment for being able to do that because it is quite frankly, it's just tough to start a business if you are working a full-time job, hundred percent, especially if it's a demanding one. So that was extremely helpful. So tell me about Rocketblocks a little bit more. Was this something where you were like, I'm going to start a business and this is what it's going to be. Was it more along the lines of there's more of this problem and I can't figure out, I, I can't, I have to keep thinking about it until I solve it or like somewhere in between or yeah. what happened to, what's the origin story here? That's a good question. Like I mentioned before, like I've had this entrepreneurial idea in my head that I'd like to run a business at some point. Rocketblocks was not like, I've been thinking about this idea for years. And then when I got the chance second year, it clicked like all first year. I remember my partner, Annie, who was also at school with me, we just bounce around ideas and with friends. Okay. Like what if we did, what if we tried this? What if we tried this? I think we had a spreadsheet of 50 ideas at one point. None of them really stuck for me. And then second year, I was just helping a bunch of my fellow classmates prepare for their interviews. And at that time was particularly there's 40% of the class at that point went into management consulting. So I was helping people prepare for these interviews at like McKinsey, BCG and Bain. And I just kept seeing the same problems repeat themselves over and over again. And these were from people, Tuck is a small school. I've been in class with most of these people. Like I knew they were really sharp folks. They were smart motivated, et cetera. So if I do a mock interview and it went poorly, like I'd ask like, how are you preparing? What did you do to prepare for this interview? What's your process like? And I heard a lot of the same things over and over again. It was like, I read this particular book that was out there. I memorized some frameworks that were out there. I may have watched like a video or two and had like a lean back experience. I watched it and now I'm, you gave me a question and I tried to use one of the frameworks I memorized and that's what we did. And I basically started finding myself coaching people to think about it differently. I was like, look, these interviews are essentially just testing uh, a basket of skills. And the way you want to think about it is for the particular interview I'm doing, what basket of skills are they trying to test? Really decompose that and think about those individual skills and then start doing targeted practice in the area where you need the most improvement. So this is like the same way that an athlete would approach preparing for uh, a match or something like that. If you think of someone like Serena Williams, for example, preparing for Wimbledon, I don't know what her practice regimen looks like exactly, but I can guarantee you she doesn't just go onto the tennis court every day and play like five tennis matches, which is like how a lot of students prepare for an interview. They go and do a million mock interviews and then hope that they're ready. But the reality is that someone like Serena Williams is going to do like targeted practice on like working on her serve working on her backhand. She's going to go into the gym and do strength training. These are all different sort of skills and capabilities she's building up. And then she goes and puts them together in a tennis match. And, and so that was the approach I started coaching and recommending. And that was, as I saw that resonate, that became the seeds for, Hey, like we could build a platform around this. That's and great. So that became rocket blocks. That's great. And thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, what did the timeline look like in terms of you have like somewhat of a working like MVP versus, oh, this is a, we'll call this a business to like, oh, wow, we have a full real, now we have a full robust like platform and, and things yeah. like that. 
It takes a while. Like yeah, sure, to, sure. to get to the MVP was pretty quickly. I so when I started doing this, I had a friend who and folks listening to this will probably be familiar with this because it's common at business schools, but McKinsey had staffed a full-time engagement manager at Tuck to basically recruit on behalf of them. And that is his only job when he was, it was him in this case, that was his only job when he was there. And by pure happenstance, the, the McKinsey person staffed at Tuck that year happened to be my former Google manager's best friend from Tuck. And so John was like, hey, my friend Nick is going to be there. You should meet him. And so Nick and I met second year and we're talking about this problem that we were seeing because he was also helping Tuck friends do a bunch of mock interviews. And we got excited about it. And so I think we went from meeting, talking about it to a prototype in two weeks. It was just like, oh, here's a little thing we could do. And I prototyped something up, built something with, I don't even remember what coding language I was using at the time. But that was, that was very quick. And then, okay, hey, we've got a prototype. We gave it to some people, got some feedback on it. There was probably another, thinking about it now, six to seven months of like iteration before we had something that we put out in the world and said, okay, here's a product and a price for it. Will you pay for it? That's great. So you talked about it originally, but I'd love to also just update it based off of not what you originally saw, but also now that you've been doing this for many years, what problems do people, and we'll say specific to MBA students in particular, based off of your initial kind of reason for starting this, but also now with five years worth of data, what problems do you typically see that MBA students encounter when they're preparing for product management interviews? What are the common mistakes they're making or things that they're getting tripped up of that if we're, they were to, again, to your point, target them, identify them and work on them, they'd be better off and be able yeah. to improve. So I think there's a few things and I'll mention, you know, specifically in the product management space with the lens of MBA students applying for it. One, one common thing is people get overly obsessed or, or focused on the fact that these companies do want some level of technical ability in their product management canons. And especially, you know, some of like, there's companies like Google that famously have a pretty strong bias toward technical ability for product management candidates. And I think what one mistake you'll see is you'll see someone that's coming into these interviews and they're like, oh, you know, they're an English major background or something like they're non-technical, right? They're, they're perfectly smart and ambitious, but non-technical. And they'll think the way to get ready is like, I'm, I'm going to need to learn all these algorithm techniques and I'm going to learn, need to learn how to code to be able to pass this interview. And the reality is that you can do some of that stuff. And I think it's great to build your skill sets and broaden your horizons. But if you're doing that specifically to just try and pass like an interview, it's probably going to end up being wasted time because you're probably not going to get good enough technically to actually make you stand out in an interview for that reason. And so I think that focus ends up being wasted. And I think uh, the flip side of that is you probably should think about, okay, what are the skills I need? How can I just make sure I cross the hurdle in each of those areas, but also how am I going to differentiate myself? Like, where am I really going to stand out as a candidate and make my mark? And so I think thinking about here's the different skill sets that these companies really care about. Where can I really truly differentiate myself, index very highly to my peers and meet the hurdle on other areas. So that's one of the first things I would mention. I think the other big thing is, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but people get in this in this cycle, it's, hey, I've got an interview coming up, whether it's Facebook or Google, Microsoft, whoever. And so the way to prepare for it is just to do 20 mock interviews. And the challenge with that is often they do 20 of these mock interviews. 
They may do them with like friends that in some cases like haven't been in those positions themselves. They take a decent amount of time to do it because usually like you do a mock interview, you give your friend a mock interview. So it's a reciprocal process. So you spent like an hour and a half of your time and you may have reinforced bad habits. You may have talked about stuff that isn't relevant and you may have importantly, like basically not taken that same time and used it to develop the specific underlying skills that these companies want to see. So for example, if you really struggle with thinking through like how to frame a product problem and you have the choice between spending an hour and a half doing a mock interview where you're going to spend maybe five minutes up front framing a product's problem and then the rest of the time talking about other stuff and letting, you know, doing an interview for your friend, you could take that same hour and a half and practice framing product problems over and over again. And most likely that type of practice is going to be more useful for you. Now you want to do mock interviews occasionally because you want to put it all together. But I think that's one of the key things that a lot of students um, miss out on. And that solo practice and the solo targeted practice can be really effective and helpful. I think that's a great point. And it reminds me of something that I've come across to a lot of people I think are, are out there know the Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours kind of yep. theory in order to get good at something you need to do it for 10,000 hours. And um, I'm not saying that's not true, but to your point, if you do something for 10,000 hours, but you don't do it well, or you do it poorly, that's not going to make you an expert in it. And what you really want, I think, into what you're saying, I think it's commonly known as this idea of deliberate practice of being focused in what it is that you're doing it the right way. And yeah, you still need to do it for a while. Like you're not going to get good at it overnight, but yeah. you were probably better off trying to do it well for 500 hours versus doing it poorly for 10,000, right? Yeah. And simply just throwing more hours at something is not necessarily going to yield you the best outcome. Exactly. And it's a tough trap because it feels good at the moment. It feels productive. If you look at your calendar, okay, I've got this interview coming up and I'm going to do three hours of mock interviews every day, then it feels like you're doing something, right? But if those are only sort of 10% effective at practicing the key things you need to get better at, then that's a real waste of a lot of your time. Right. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. The other thing that I think about to what you're just saying in terms of checking off your calendar lists, one of the, my favorite sayings that I try to practice is this idea of process, not outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, just the idea that it's your point. If you take the time to put together and be thoughtful about your process, the outcome will eventually come. And everyone obviously wants an outcome. You need an outcome. Sure. Yeah. But if you just solely focus on a yes or no, did I check the box or not? Or did I execute this? You're missing uh, a whole really important set of body of work. And so totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And I like the focus on process, not outcomes. I think that one, one of the reasons why the sort of old school, what I'll call the old school approach uh, of reading a book to prepare for these interviews, you know, reading a book and memorizing some frameworks, et cetera. If you think about other things you've learned in your life, like when have you really learned how to do something by solely like reading a book? Maybe like you learned how to do basic algebra, right? Like reading a book. But if you want to go learn how to play soccer or you want to go learn how to sail a boat, there's only so much you can do from reading the book. And at a certain point, you've like, got to go put on cleats and like, kick a ball around. Or you've got to get on the water and put up the sails and, and see what happens. And you have to teach yourself the process. There's certain skills and things that go into that. And I think the good news is that if you take that mindset and that approach, 
if you don't get the outcome you want originally in some interview, say you're preparing for the Google interview and you don't get that Google offer, but you've taken an approach of, hey, the five skills Google cares about are X, Y, and Z. And I spent a lot of time doing dedicated practice on those. Maybe I didn't get to the point where I crossed the bar for the Google interview, but now you've bettered yourself. You've made yourself a better candidate for that next interview you go into. And guess what? If you get that job, when you're on that job, you've now made yourself better at those skills. That's a much better long-term compounding interest approach, if you will, than saying, hey, I've got a Google interview. And so the way I'm going to prepare is I'm going to try and figure out the last 20 questions they asked other Google PM candidates. And then I'm going to memorize those questions and answers to those questions and hope I get something similar. Because you haven't really learned anything that way. You, you've just practiced for a very specific test that you may get lucky and maybe you get one of those questions. But when you're on the job, you're going to get <laughs> different questions that guess what? Like the way to answer them is to have the underlying skill set. So if you just focus on those skills, that process, that outcome will come eventually. I think that's a great point. And actually it's a nice, it's an, it's actually a good, I would love to get your thoughts on this. So again, like thinking of the process, not outcomes approach and mindset. The other reason why I encourage people to think about this for any interview is to the point you just made, you could do an exceptional job in an interview but you're going up against two other candidates who not only did they do an exceptional job, but they know the hiring manager. And just because they get it and you don't, if you look at it from an outcome perspective, you failed, right? Like you didn't get the offer, but what you're missing is that you did an exceptional job showcasing, you know, the work that you did or that you did have the skills. And there's a lot of learning in that will be helpful to you for the next, the next opportunity that you get. And so I guess where I'm going with this, I'm be curious to know from your perspective, how should someone maybe approach when they've done deliberate practice, they've had an interview, maybe it didn't work out the way they wanted, but, and they didn't get moved to the next round. Like how should they come back from that? What should they do next from an experience like that? Because it can feel deflating, right? When you don't get it, but how can you rebound from that in a positive way? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Like it's going to be deflating, right? There are certain interviews you really want it. You may not get it. The first of all is like, it's okay to be a little disappointed. So first yeah. of all, like, don't beat yourself up too much. It's okay to even be a little disappointed. That's fine. But don't dwell on that too long. I think the next thing, give yourself an hour, a day or whatever you need, and then sit down and try and honestly reflect on that experience and say, okay, unpack that whole interview experience and, and try and say, where could I have done better? Where are the points I did? What are the things I could have done better? And then bake that process, like what you learned, where could I have done better? Figure out how to get better at that. Start doing more deliberate practice. And if you do that, I think it's one of those things, it's going to work out eventually. Like this is all, like you were saying, focusing on the outcome. I think there's a great, poker players have a really good mindset around this. And there's a good book, uh, Thinking in Bats by Annie Duke. There's another good book by another female player named Maria. I think it's Konnikova that, that talks about very similar stuff. But basically you can't focus on the result. And if you think about a game like poker, which I think is a very good metaphor for a lot of things that happen in life, because it's a, it's a huge mix of skill and luck. You could play a hand perfectly in poker by the numbers, by the stats and logic, and you could still lose that hand. And poker players, the ones that are good, get very good at reminding themselves that if they play a hand perfectly and lost, that's totally fine. That is an acceptable outcome because by the numbers, like next time they play that same hand perfectly, like it, it will work out. And if they play that same, got that same hand over and over again and just continued to play it well, 
like the, the chips will fall in their favor eventually. And so you just need to get good at, at trying to cleave apart the outcomes from the process and just be disappointed for a little bit going back to the interview thing, but then just focus on what you could have done better. And if you do that, like in interviews and in life, you're going to be, you're going to be set up well long-term because it compounds. Agreed. And I think I, one thing I will say is I think it's easier for us to say these things because we're not staring down the fact of an interview coming up where it might decide where we are going to be for the summer. So I very much appreciate the, if anyone's listening and telling us like, yeah, it's easy for you to take the long game approach. I do think that the other thing I would also say is that particularly for those who are looking at internships, the internship is, it's not the end all be all. It is a very important like component and element, but it's not your, it's not the thing you're going to be doing for the next 30 years of your career. And it's just more of, again, just the importance of focusing on the long term and the bigger picture, which again, is easier for us to say, Yeah, uh, it, but it's it, still worth noting. Totally. And I think that's a good point. It is easier to, to say once you're past it. I do think one tactical thing you can do to help it is imagine you've got a friend at business school mm-hmm. who was really smart and really bright and they go into an interview yeah. and it doesn't go their way. And you're, you're out to dinner with them. You take them out to a bar later that night and trying to console them. Like your perspective is probably look like, don't worry about it. Like you're right, super exactly. smart. I know you're super capable. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And, and people are very oftentimes comfortable giving that advice to their friends, they find it very hard to do it for themselves. So if you can just remind yourself when it happens to you, take yourself out of your own body and try and give that same advice to yourself, you'll realize, hey, like it is not the end of the world. Like I just, yeah. if I zoom out a little bit, just keep moving and it'll be fine. No, I love that approach. It's uh, as they say, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, it's, always, <laughs> it's always a lot harder. So talk a little bit about the rocket box itself and maybe a little bit about how the platform works in terms of I've looked around and I've played around with it myself, but for those of you who haven't, how does it really help with this idea of targeted practice towards a bucket of skills? Yeah, absolutely. So overall, like rocket blocks, it's an interview prep platform. We handle currently four different types of interviews. So if you're preparing for consulting interviews at places like McKinsey or Bain, if you're preparing for product management interviews at places like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, et cetera product marketing interviews at that same set of tech companies or strategy and biz ops interviews, again, at that same set of companies, the Googles, Microsofts, Facebooks of the world, we basically help you prepare for those interviews. And regardless of which of those tracks you're going down, the philosophy is the same. It all starts with drills, which is like the first core pillar of the product. This is basically where we unpack that particular interview type. And we say in this type of interview, these are the key underlying skills these companies are going to be testing for. And then we give you a targeted bespoke drills that mimics like the interview questions that are going to test you on those specific skills. And we help you get better by going through, answering those questions, actually wrestling with the topic, answering questions, comparing your answers to expert answers, et cetera. That's the first key pillar. The second pillar that's in the product is say you're going through these drills. Like let's imagine you're preparing for a product management interview. You don't come from a technical background, but you need to be able to discuss some key technical topics with engineering to be able to successfully be a product manager. So you're doing some technical drills and rocket blocks and you get a bunch of questions around APIs and realize like your knowledge and APIs is not great. Our second pillar of the product is concept reviews. And this is where we will help you bring, basically bring you up to speed on some of these key concepts if you need like a primer on what is an API? Like how does an API actually get used in a modern tech product? What are the key points I should know? Not all of the technical details, but like 
understanding an API from the perspective that you would need to be able to successfully be a PM at Facebook or some, somewhere like that. So that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar is what we've been talking about a little bit was live practice. Yes, like you do need to learn these concepts and you do need to do drills to get better and faster at articulating them and thinking through them. And obviously rocket blocks, like the first two pillars are dedicated to that. But we do believe occasionally you need to go put yourself in an interview environment and simulation, uh, mock interview and try that. So we have uh, part of the platform that will connect you with other peers to practice your interview skills with. Or if you're interested, we also open up the network of Rocketblocks experts for one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so you can book them for a coach, a personal private coaching session. And these are the same experts that are providing like the answers in the Rocketblocks drills across these different modules. So if you're it's consulting, it's like the McKinsey, BCG, Bain folks of the world. And if you're in any of the tech modules, it's folks that have experience at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Airbnb, Uber, et cetera, in the different, if you're in product management, it's product managers. If you're in product marketing, it's PMMs, et cetera. Thanks for walking us through that. I'd be curious to know for any data that you can share, particularly within product management, are there any particular sections or drills that either get gravity or people use the most, or maybe trip people up the most, or any cool insights that you might be able to share on that? Yeah. I think what's interesting is like everyone comes to these interviews from a different perspective. Sure. And this is why I think yeah. like this, the skills-based thing is, is interesting because we'll have folks that come to us from a deep technical background, right? Like they're a trained CS engineer, CS, maybe they've worked as an engineer at one of these companies for five years. Like they understand, like they know APIs, they know tech stacks, they can talk for 24 hours straight about the differences between like relational and non-relational databases, but they'll really struggle with product sense. Like product sense seems, well, what is product sense? How do I think about product? What is some of the more nuanced elements of product and like user empathy and understanding that stuff? So those type of people, they'll dig like really deep into those concepts and the drills based around that stuff. And then you have the folks on the exact flip side, which is like, they come from a liberal arts background, they're an English and history major and like technical stuff is super scary or working with numbers and like thinking about metrics. So I think what you have is depending on your, what background has brought you to the point where you're applying for product management, you might engage super heavier in what I would call like the fuzzy stuff, product sense product strategy, product design. And if you come from the other angle, you're like English, that type of background, liberal arts, you probably gravitate towards diving deep into like analytical questions and technical stuff and just getting up to speed there and just becoming comfortable, like thinking about those issues really quickly, figuring out what's the right level to engage in and what are some of the key concepts you need to be familiar with. So right now we're recording this it's beginning in December, but for most MBA students, they're either off for the semester or soon to be off for the semester. And yeah. they're probably going to be starting interviews sometime in the January or, or February timeframe. I would be curious to know either what advice do you have knowing that they have some time and also as it stands right now, most of us are probably going to have some more indoors time than we would like, <laughs> but any like guidance or advice as to maybe how they might be able to spend the next month or maybe six weeks or whatever it is to prepare for a product management interview, anything that they can do to bring together some of the concepts we talked about in terms of deliberate practice, but also just this notion of hopefully now some people have some time, right? Because yeah. there is a little bit of a gap. Yeah. Everyone has a different style for approaching this and for how they work, but I think many people creating a, essentially a prep plan for yourself can be super helpful because 
you can create something like that. And then it takes the stress over out of thinking about it every given day. What am I going to do today to prep? And instead of re resolving that problem every day, if you take some time at the beginning, especially if you're listening to this in like December and you've got interviews coming up in January, February and say, look, okay, I've got six or seven weeks. What I want to do is I want to spend one hour every day drilling into key topics that I need to get better on. And so I'm going to dedicate one hour every weekday to doing that. And then I'm going to try and do two mock interviews a week. This doesn't have to be your plan. This is just a straw man I'm throwing out. But say like building yourself like a little framework for that and then populating in of this one hour of practice I'm going to do every day, like solo, like what are the key things I want to do? If I know I'm targeting like these four companies, maybe it's like I spend half an hour researching those companies and learning more about the business understanding their key product lines, how they fit together, their product philosophy to the extent you can understand that. And then I'm going to spend, I, maybe I come from an engineering background. I feel like I'm weaker on doing things like product sense and product strategy. So I'm going to spend 30 minutes each day also like practicing some of those drills and thinking about these types of issues and forcing myself to articulate them and think through them the same way I would have to in an interview, but basically putting that plan together, like allocate time for yourself to the different type of activities, like solo practice, digging into issues, maybe doing some research on the companies you're interested in, and then bucket time for a few mock interviews a week, and then start populating what are the things I need to do, especially in those first weeks. So you might be able to say, okay, like I'm really weak on, say it's like product sense, product strategy, and analytic, like thinking through like product metrics and some analytics issues. So maybe I'm gonna bucket out like my first two weeks, I'm gonna spend a bunch of time digging into that. And then I'm gonna put a stake in the ground that after two weeks of this prep, I'm going to reevaluate and think, okay, where am I on the set of skills? Do I still need to focus on prepping these or have I like advanced a lot there? And now I'm going to reallocate a little more time to some other areas to get even better there, but using that type of process. So I think to summarize, I would say, give yourself a plan, put something together that seems credible and that gives you like a little bit of practice each day, because this type of stuff does like it, it compounds, like the longer you spend thinking about it the new insights will pop up and your brain will like work in the background. So I think doing an hour of practice every day, if you think about a week and an hour of practice each weekday versus five hours on Friday, I think an hour is going to be better for you. So if you can build that in, that's the first thing, populate it with the specific areas you want to do deliberate practice in, and then put some milestones in where you reevaluate. If you've got six weeks to prep, maybe reevaluate at the end of every week or two weeks and say, what areas do I need to drill into in the next week? Is it the same? Is it the same areas? Maybe it is. Just keep doing it. Or I've gotten really good at this. Maybe I need to move on to another thing. I think that's a great approach. And I think you're right. It's going to be uh, a little different for each person, depending on their interest in plan or interest in kind of goals. But I do think you're right in that having a plan and taking the time to think through it and pacing yourself in the right way versus cramming is going to be, is going to be really helpful to everyone. Kent, thank you so much for being here today. If folks, uh, particularly students who are preparing for interviews, if they want to learn more, if they want to get up to speed on rocket blocks, like where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is just www.rocketblocks.me. So you go there, you find all the information about the four modules I talked about. There's a seven day free trial. You can sign up to check out everything and, and get started if you're interested. And then we've also got a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash rocketblocks. You'll get a ton of videos about the interview process, career advice in these different career paths. Hi everyone. 
LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.